Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is uh, another episode of Believe in Skateboarding. Uh, welcome, everybody. And uh, we always start out with the same stupid question, and that's, I'm Jim Gray. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Wonderful to see you, Jim. This is uh, Teddy Dean Bennett. Well, it's nice to see you, my friend. It's been a long time. We um, we skated together back in the late 70s and early 80s. And uh, you went off and did your thing and disappeared for a few years, at least from my world. And uh, I don't know, five or six years ago, we reunited through some mutual friends passing through. And uh, now uh, now we've become reacquainted. So uh, tell us uh, tell us where you are at at this very moment. I'm actually in Baja, Mexico, the southern part of Baja in a fairly remote town but although getting more and more popular called Pescadero uh, there's a pretty famous surf break here called Cerritos Beach but it's about six miles south of Todos Santos which is a little more popular of a, a city. very well-known surf break yeah so, uh, so how long have you been living down in Mexico um well I've been going back and forth for about a decade um, I've been spending part of my year here uh, doing what I do now, uh, leading mindfulness meditation retreats and yoga. And then, but now these days I work at the Modern Elder Academy, which is a, a midlife wisdom school. Yeah, um, I know we talked about that last time we talked. And I think that's really amazing. Um, so we'll get into that, but let's back up. And first, for those you know people who probably listen to my podcast who may not know who you are, um, Teddy was a original Bones Brigade member. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, I skated Big O Skate Park with you a lot. You skated in like the Gold Cup series, stuff like that. Where where did you start skateboarding, and when did you start skateboarding? This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code B. B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. When did you start skateboarding? God, um, you know, it was just part of part of what you did in, you know, mid-1970s Huntington Beach is where I grew up. Um, 
Huntington Beach uh, being very different in the 70s than Huntington Beach that we know of now. For sure. And uh, surf and skate culture um, really was what all of us kind of little feral beach kids did, you know. Um, it was just natural for us to gravitate towards that. You know, I guess we could have played baseball or football or something, but that was never really kind of not really offered in the culture that I was in. Um, okay, so you, and, you grew up surfing, I assume, then? and, and grew up surfing, started pretty young at about eight, you know, and uh, skateboarding probably right around the same time. And, and did you just have local neighborhood kids? You guys just all kind of did it together and... Yeah, neighborhood kids. I remember, uh, you know, urethane wheels starting to come out. And then um, eventually, I remember the first skate park I, I really went to was called Sidewalk Surf Park in Fountain Valley. Absolutely. It was by, yeah, it was by the 405 there. Yep, that was the closest park to my house, too. Yeah. So I think I'd been to, I think I'd been to like a, a concrete wave before that or whatever, but. Uh, but yeah, Sidewalk Surf Park was was the closest one to my house, and, and I had a lot of fun on those little snake runs. Yeah, little snake runs. Um, they had the first of its kind, uh, big plexiglass uh, half pipe. Yeah, that was that uh, was pretty that was pretty crazy when I first saw that. That was the beginning of all of this. Yeah, really. what the thing had it probably had four or five feet of vert on it it was, it was insane and it, yeah. and it was like eight feet wide so yeah. no it's eight feet wide well, i'm gonna guess me we were smaller so we might have it was at least 12 feet high it might have been 14 feet high but it was uh yeah. eight feet wide and it was it was almost u-shaped did that it didn't have any flat bottom did it no no flat bottom at all yeah. No. Yeah, it was just a, a u with like four feet of vert and i think maybe once in my life i got a one wheeler on it or something and i was like whoa you know yeah inevitably you'd always go off the side and there was kind of this netting on the side and yeah. you'd get tangled up in it and uh yeah the fact that we survived those that says <laughs> a lot for our our survival abilities i guess very, so. very much that's pretty funny. And if you guys hear uh, this thundering sound in the background, it's because Teddy's sitting out in a patio and I hear waves crashing. Yeah, right there. <laughs> God love nice. it. does not look like an ugly place to live. Pretty nice place to work. And the, yeah. What's the water temperature there? 79, 80. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> so you wear, you wear a full suit when you go out, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> that's real. how often do you still surf i probably if it's not that good maybe twice a week but if it's good i'll be out there almost every day you yeah, know as well and how uh, do you do you still skate much i'm actually i do skate i and i um i started probably about five years ago again um kind of off and on intermittent but i'm skating more right now um really enjoying it um we do actually here in pescadero in this little town there is a skate park here um this uh this donor he, i guess he was an ex-football player put up the money to build it um it's not super user friendly it's gnarly um <laughs> it's a gnarly uh big deep there's not a lot to it there's a big deep pool um and 
I need to I need to get I need to get some proper pads because I just been skating things where I don't really need to pad up. But yeah. for this thing to like feel comfortable, I I want to pad up for it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So let's go, transition. To, let's go back to your childhood about skateboarding. Yeah. When what got you in? How do you th what got you to the Bones Brigade? What was your what was a quick path there? Like where well, did you start? What lured you in? Eventually, it was moving from skating a few contests at Sidewalk Surf Park and winning winning those um, relatively easy, and then skateboarding a lot at Skatopia. Mm -hmm. um, and it was there where I got on Van's tennis shoes. Uh, if you remember, Everett Rosecrans was the manager back then, and, and his kids, Kelly and Beetle Rosecrans. So I got brought onto the, the Van's team, which was wonderful. And we'd always practice at Skatopia. You know, Vans back then was really a, a touring, uh, a demo team. You know, we had a plexiglass half pipe that we would pull around with the Vans, uh, kind of the Vans skateboard team van. And we do demos at schools, county fairs, um, uh, Magic Mountain, Knott's Berry Farm, kind of all over California. And was that different than, than Gail Webb's? Because I did, I wrote for Gail Webb, you know, and and Powerflex, and she was always kind of. She eventually was sponsored by Vans for most of her stuff. Did she ever cross over into that? Was she? I remember, I remember her doing it, and I, I believe we had things where Gail and her kind of team would show up, and we would do demos together. But what I do remember of it was, you know. We would get to the place and we would build have you know have to put the ramp together yeah um we do both flatland freestyle and then we would skate the ramp i was mostly skating the ramp yeah um but i do so remember then but so how did, so how did you get on powell how did that happen well i wanted i was competing more when i was on vans i was still competing and i was really more interested in wanting to compete more rather than uh be on this this touring demo team and of course, very early on, I wanted to be, this was kind of even pre-cab. Um, I wanted to be pre-caballero, you know, I wanted to be on Stacy's team. And there was this one kid, and I can't really remember his name, out of Santa Barbara that was on the team. And he and I connected really well, and we would skate a lot together. We connected a lot at Escondido Skate Park for contests there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I remember I was kind of honing, wanting to get on. And I remember that's when Caballero showed up at this park um, who, you know, really at the time, he looked like a child. Oh, no, um, like, was little. Like a little child. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was just shred. It was next level, you know. And that was when, that was the first time I saw somebody I kind of witnessed be, being asked to, to, for him to be, he was down there to get on the Bones Brigade. And there was another, gen, there was another kid with him. And what park was that? That was at Escondido. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I never so, seen that park for some reason. So cab, he was doing inverts and lots of other tricks that none of us were really doing yet. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I think soon after that, that's when Scott Foss got asked to be on and I don't know how many years went by but I just always remember Stacy would pick um would pick team members almost in in pairs in pairs like huh. it was it was Cab and Scott Foss 
and then you know Alan Gelfin and Mike McGill um, and I think like you know later you know me and David Z were buddies yeah and we both were really kind of kind of really on Stacy to try to get on the team and I remember I don't even know how it happened but Stacy invited us out me and David himself and we went and skated Marina Del Rey. We spent a long weekend at his girlfriend's parents' house. And after that weekend, we were on. Um, I don't think much was talked about. Interesting. Uh, you know what's interesting about the pattern, though, you're telling me is, though, he picked things in pairs. I've never heard that before. Um, yeah. It just, uh, but then, but you also pointed out that it's Scott Foss and uh, and Cab. So that was NorCal, Santa Cruz, San Jose area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you, then you talked about Alan Gelfand you know, um, and Mike McGill, that's both Florida. Okay. And then you guys were both Southern California. I mean, I yeah. the same general area, but you were within an hour of each other, you and David Z. So yeah, uh, and then you had he, must have, he must have scouted like an area and figured maybe there was a pair. It was good to have a pair in each area. Um, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. And even if you think of Jamie Godfrey, there was, I forget the other guy's name, because he just, he kind of stopped skating when I first got on the team, but the Cherry Hill contingent you had yeah no, sure. that was the that was the new jersey crew yeah jeslowski was the guy's name oh, or something man. i can't remember but uh, you know, I yeah, it was another it was another pair yeah that's and, interesting. Um, yeah so so we were on we were on um david z and i well what you talk about you know what's funny is when i go back and i think about you know uh the history of skateboarding like the years of like you know, trans, not transfer, but before trans, like Skateboarder Magazine. It launched like in the early days, stopped for a while. And when it relaunched in the, in the late seventies, whatever, it was only out for like a few years. You know what I mean? And that was the years that we happened to be getting sponsored growing up. Be, you know, we were hoping to get in there and then morph into action now and all faded away, whatever. But in the history of skateboarding, trans rural thrasher, whatever, their, their history is so much longer than skateboarder, but skateboarder yeah. was such a part of an iconic time uh, <sighs> that when, so much of what became i call it the pioneering generation of skateboarding which was basically the the late 70s into the first couple of years of the 80s almost yeah. everything that still gets done today was was created then you know and it was all of us who were out there getting sponsored and and everyone who went to the gold cup series most of those guys that went on to become pros I mean, they're still even kind of big wigs in the industry and so on so it's very interesting just really to look at the whole pattern of it um so so that time you're talking about stacy it might have only been a year or a year and a half because we were only 15 and 16 at the time, so it seemed like eternities. You know what I mean? I don't know when yeah. I got on and then they got on. They might have got on four months difference from you. But as well, but going back that far in time, it seemed like forever. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, remember, remember stuff like that. I remember when Tony got on, you know, he was he was also he was so little, you yeah, know, totally, uh, only it's only a few years younger than me. I'm 58 now, and I guess Tony's maybe 55. I think he's 55 because I turned 60 yeah. now, and he's about yeah. four and a half um, five years. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I remember we were all staying at, at Tony's parents' house in Santa Monica. We would always stay there, and it would be me, Cab, McGill, David Z, Tony. Um, I think Rodney Mullins was, would be there, like all in the one bedroom, you know, a pretty fun time. And uh, and I just remember when Tony first got on, he was he was he was so tiny, his legs were just little, you know, little. And well, I totally uh, remember. I remember when, 
Oh, you remember it. And he had I remember when he, had, when, he could, when he did so many tricks, but he still could barely get over the coping. He had really yeah. rad tricks and everything, yeah. but it just like, no, kind of, he couldn't like get up some of the... Yeah. And, uh, and that was like the last year I was up before I decided to, to uh, just basically go to college. That's yeah. what happened. And um, so was the Gold Cup Series, was that sort of your last uh, run in, in skateboard competitions, sort of? I think my last competition was at Woodier Skate Park, Skate City. Okay. And it was one of those ones, the Turkey Shoot. Turkey Shoot, one of those. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just like, I was one of those skaters where I just, you know, I, I didn't know how to put, I didn't know how to skate that conservative, really, you know, and uh, David Z was the same way where I we had the just, same problem. Yeah, you went you dude, you were like, and you still are when I watch you on Instagram, you go like a million miles an hour. Um, you're such but a I, fast skater. And I even remember at the big O capsule pool. Um, how fast you skated that thing the speed it was just uh way um way faster than anybody else around i feel i, I fall off my skateboard if i slow down that's the problem yeah yeah it's like uh, uh but but then same light as far as go amping and falling off you know i remember i did sure. okay. i got third of the gold cup at big o my local place but most times steve kathy was there going jim calm yeah. down take a deep breath don't because yeah. i do like the three foot air, the four foot air, the five foot air, and then like the fucking eight foot air and bail. You know what I mean? Like just because I would just get all amped out. But at Big O, he said, "Just go for it. It's your hometown." You know, and like, and I and I did, and I stayed on. You know, so um, yeah, and I, I always overamped and, and kicked my board out. I think a lot of yeah, like myself included. Um, and that skate skate city, it was just kind of like whispers. Teddy's got this. Teddy's got. I remember that last contest. I remember Teddy's got it. Teddy's got this. If Teddy stays on, he's yeah. got. It, yeah, you know? and that's a key. It still happens today. We have guys like Grayson Fletcher, can be one of the most amazing skateboarders to watch. Um, but he also isn't going to hold himself back because he has to win. He's sure. just going for it, and if he yeah. makes it, he'll be happy. And you kind of go, oh man, if he made everything, he could win this thing. Um, and I, and I kind of like that. That's the exciting part about skateboarding. Yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I mean, there's times I've learned to control myself, but I don't really control's not fun. Yeah. Going, fa going fast and wild is fun. <laughs> I remember that contest though. And I remember I fell on a lean air just, and I don't fall on, I didn't fall on those ever. And I just, it was ba mind baffling. I'm just like, how could I choke? on a lean air you know i was really um i took it hard it was i was yeah. super disappointed um, i really kind of that was kind of a time where i really needed a win mm -hmm. and uh the industry wasn't at the healthiest at that moment yeah. um, there was a lot of you know amateurs and pros were all skating together because there just wasn't there wasn't even enough pros a lot of the times for um so it was just it was it was a time where it was getting harder to go to practice you know um um marina del rey had just closed so skate city was really like the only place for me coming from huntington beach and uh going to practice somewhere 
uh, at a skate park, a privately owned skate park. You know, there were no public skate parks back yeah, then. Isn't that amazing? So again, so it has to go with that that was windows of time. The whole yeah. skate park era of the seventies was really yeah. only about three years. They're all you know. Yep, all um, businesses and closing. You know. Yeah, and then think about today. Like, I mean, I fought really hard to get our Costa Mesa park built here. It's been there for something like sixteen or seventeen years now. Yeah, and, and these kids have grown up having it there for them. Anytime they felt like it, there was they, they didn't. There was no this like little. I had my two years and then it was gone. I mean, so sure. we lived in a very funky era. Yet it yeah. was still one of the most influential times ever in the history of skateboarding. So it's an interesting contradiction. Yeah, I just uh, it just got harder and harder. And we, you know, you know, I had a I had a young mom raising uh me and my brother my brother two years younger than me and you know we we were able to stay in huntington the whole time but we were renters we had to move yeah. a lot yeah. we didn't have any money yeah. and it was really hard to like just get the car to drive you know woodier was like over an hour away to yeah. just go practice marina del rey was quite a ways away from huntington so yeah, just there's a lot of those early parks that i never got to skate because i didn't have a car until the end like 79 you know yeah getting ready to graduate high school then i could get by myself but those first few years when you talked about escondido i never skated escondido i never skated yeah. carson i never skated some of these parks because they were like i mean even though in today's world i could get there in 20 minutes in my own car but sure. back then it was an eternity away how'd you get there i yeah. got there on buses we got there on mopeds yeah <laughs> uh, you know we, i take the uh, i'd skate the fishbowl in anaheim by taking the bus because it went just straight up brookhurst and i was able to get there really easy and so God, we did public transit we did that just reminds me of that irvine snake run that was a public run do you remember that place? place oh my god are you kidding i was there the and day i had a, back out. then i had a logan earth ski and i had um oj wheels i love that board I it was killed I, yeah. I we were skating there a lot when they tore it out i guess they had built it and they promised the neighbors because it was too noisy or whatever that they would tear it out and then they built a fence so no one ever complained anymore skateboarding took yeah. it off it went on for several years i think it was the or somewhere in the early 80s it, it might have even been made it to 82 83 or something like that and we were just out there having wonderful sessions and one day we were there they said okay you got to leave what why I go was because we we're we we're the crew that came here to tear it out and i watched them as they walked yeah. down there with jackhammers and uh started jackhammering it and i god i was so pissed off that yeah we were crazy. really when we started going to that irvine place it was uh it was really early on it was before skatetopia and all of that you know yeah, it was one i think there was one there might have been one in santa cruz something like that there was very it's real. I'm not really entirely sure, but it was definitely one of the only public skate parks that's ever built. Now I believe there's a couple thousand public skate parks. In yeah, America. yeah, yeah, crazy. Uh, so what a different time, not private, but public. I mean, they're like, well, just like go, who would have thought the YMCA would like build skate parks? No, they actually, the YMCA and uh, the Boy Scouts even helped us yeah. through an era. Boy Scouts were insuring it. The Boy Scouts had a policy that could cover it. So through a lot of the late 80s into the 90s, a lot of the only way skate parks were being uh, insured was sure. the skate park is by affiliating themselves with the Boy Scouts. Yeah, so, yeah, crazy times. We've we've yeah. certainly come a long way. I was I was a city council meeting last night in the city of Orange. Uh, my friend Chuck Wallstead, who was a big O local back in the day, you know he uh, he's lived in Orange his whole life, and he asked me a few months ago to come join him. I started going to some city council meetings, and and like four months ago, it was like this oh we're still shoving the thing under the rug you know not figuring it out and then just by a little prodding a little pushing a little like hey bullshit, you can find the money sure. you know blah 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 last night some city council person 
found a new some new money that was just actually given to the city for some you know funding that they got from some building permit or something like that and 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 proposed allocating it to a new skate park is like 1.7 million dollars the council voted on it seven to zero now orange will probably have a skate park in the next couple of years so um it's, it's amazing how quickly it's so, it can turn. it's so interesting how because you know it was really and i remember you know stacy talking about this a lot you know skateboarding isn't isn't it you know, isn't an outlaw sport, you know, but it, it was really considered that way as, as you and I were coming up. And it's, I love to see the progression of it um, into what it's become today. And um, well, and it still is outlaw in a sense, because when all the skate parks uh, went away and the, and the, let the tranny guys, cause they were the transition riders, but they wanted to skate something. So the Lance Mountains and Neil Blenders and so on and so forth went out and started goofing off on street stuff. And, and created street skating you know what i mean and then it was taken to another level from a marketing standpoint let's make this what skateboarding is all about and so then we which was great because we kept people skateboarding kept the skateboard industry alive kept things going but it's sort of i mean we knew what we wanted to skate we weren't going to go ride a curb if we could ride a bowl or a bank or something that we thought was more fun i mean uh but we trained a whole new generation to think that no the curbs are where it's at no you don't want to ride a bowl it was kind of weird there's a lot of marketing you know, shove down people's throat. It was a lot of uh, manipulation, but but the outlaw thing came deep because now you were skating in industrial parks and in, in, in urban areas and out front of the high rise downtown. And uh, so even as we get all these skate parks built, that reputation of all the skateboarders that were, you know, saying fuck you to security guards and getting in fights and whatever to just to find somewhere to skate um became super super prevalent and i think now uh so so we had our early days of outlaw then maybe started fading fading away and then it came back again with a deep uh the deep street you know culture and and now you know skateboarding is still considered you know sort of outlaw but when you actually go to a skate park and see who's skateboarding it's not really outlaw at all it's yeah, just yeah. people having a good time well i remember because because I remember after the last bit of the parks decided, started to close with Upland and, and Colton and Skate City um, and it going back to the, you know, when, you know, when street skating got in, basically invented, you know, and because, uh, you know, it was an indirect response of all those parks closing and kids not having them back to building ramps, you know, that's when I left. I left then, you know, I left, I stopped in, I think 84 yeah. is when I stopped. And, uh, and I remember that night I was skating skate city skate park. I was able to get my mom's car, got to skate city, padded up. Um, nobody there, you know, at night, literally nobody there. And that little keyhole in the back, I went to warm up in that keyhole and uh kind of like dropped in from the shallow end to the deep end carved shallow end and then just went to do this a little air to tail you know in and my tail slipped out and i slammed and i just wind got knocked out of me i rolled over and i just remember just looking up at the nighttime sky and i just it was like that quick i was like i think i'm done and i got up and i got out and i unpadded i drove home and and this 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 
it was interesting because like a week later i remember stacy called me and there was a contest in colton and he was checking to see if i needed a ride and you know i was very, i was young and i didn't i didn't know what to say because he was like my mentor my you know i respected him so much but i didn't know how to tell him like i'm done like i'm not and he was like do you need a ride you know we'll have somebody come and get you or da 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 to get to colton and uh and i just said oh i got it i got a ride i got a ride i'll see you there and then i just didn't go and that was it it was like i think we talked a year later you know he didn't call me or anything um um it was just as easy as that and then a year later i remember i got a street skate from him you know just to go put around on the street but but your time it got really um outlaw i think that time was that time that i kind of missed that window between um between some some influx of money coming back into the industry yeah mid 80s uh, started growing again it started yeah getting again and uh and board sales picked back up and yeah and people started being able to build you know ramps for a contest or whatever yeah and, yeah that that probably the early 80s 82 83 you know those were pretty pretty piss poor skateboarding era yeah days and then by like 86 87 started growing again and coming back it also looked fun in a way part of it you know um like you know one team still had their van maybe and another team maybe had some equipment and then all of you guys would like get together and go to arizona to some ramp and have your own contest like super it got pretty underground and pretty rootsy. It was pretty cool. Yeah. The contest yeah. in those early to mid '80s things were pretty rad. You're right, Eric. Sure. We went up to full pipes. Uh, there was Joe Lopes backyard ramp jam stuff like that. That was what <laughs> yeah. we, that's what it was coming building it back from the crust. You know, yeah. Uh, and then the whole street thing was really pushed. Then the street thing was really like, hey, this is our this is let's harness this thing. You know, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have the low budget Zoom, so it's like this meeting will end in ten minutes. So we'll have to start another one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the okay. I don't have the corporate account. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it was just uh, it was it was a very rootsy time, you know, and um, and and people who wanted to still, I mean, especially talk about people who worked in the industry, they wanted to keep they wanted to keep doing stuff, you know. I uh, I was kind of in the mortgage business, kind of in the early '80s, mid '80s, and in the, about '86, I kind of actually got into the skateboard business, you know. Um, with Larry Balma from Tracker, we formed a company called Brainstorm Designs and started. I started doing projects for them and uh, started yeah. a wheel company for Tracker, and then that grew. And you know, I got on Blockhead Skateboards, and I, you know, just just kind of went from there. And in '91, I started Acme Skateboards. So yeah, I just kind of I never would have thought I would have been in the skateboard business to be honest. I mean, I was in the head of underwriting for a mortgage company in my early 20s. Sure. I just got off work, took my tie off and went skateboarding because I just love skateboarding. And, um, and you know what I was doing right after I left? I started going to community college and it was really interesting because I never was really, I never considered, I was I was the skateboard in my crew in high school and like even mid, uh, in junior high, I was the sh- shredder skateboarder sh- guy, you know, that was my identity. Yeah. And I was never like I didn't get bad grades, but I didn't really thrive in school. I wasn't like I showed up. that was like, keeping you busy and healthy. And yeah, healthy I just kind of seize or whatever. And and when I left skating, I just I didn't wasn't sure. I went to community college and I I literally thrived there. It was really interesting. I took all sciences and I got straight A's. And I started working 
under this professor studying a resident group of bottlenose dolphins off the coast of Orange County. So for about four years, I was the Marine Mammal Stranding Coordinator. This is right after I quit skateboarding. And so I was responsible to go pick up the dolphins on the beach. We'd take them to the county veterinarian uh, facility and they would do a necropsy on them and take tissue samples and get them, uh, check them for, they were always full of like really, uh, really gnarly uh, pollutants that were basically banned since the early 70s. But that's what I was doing for quite a few years, like studying biology. Um, I'd go up to the San Juan Islands in the summers and work with another professor studying orca whales. And uh, I really kind of didn't look back for a long time. Um, it was just a strange and then kind of lifted my head maybe when I was around 30 and kind of yeah. looked. And then you ended up moving up north? Is that right? You yeah, I went to college in, in, uh, in the Bay Area. I went to I went to UC Berkeley for a while, but then actually I didn't finish there. And I ended up finishing at art school and I got very involved in the whole booming of independent film in the early 90s. So I was, that was a very exciting time. Um, and I think, you know, that around that time was when Stacy was doing, is that early 90s, all the uh, Animal Chin stuff and everything? Uh, I think Animal Chin was very late 80s, but yeah, you're pushing, late 80s, yeah. pushing, pushing into the early 90s. Yeah. So um, I spent about a decade in the independent film community doing like music videos and uh, I did two, two small independent films and da-da-da-da. And when you um, say you did them, what did you do? Were you filming, producing? Uh... Yeah, wrote and directed them. Wrote and directed them. Exciting time. One of them, I went, I went to Europe with them on the film festival circuit. Um, I had some interest in Europe, so that was that was fun um, doing that. Such an exciting time. Uh, that whole movement when that was happening, when everybody was like seeing that they could kind of make a film, and it was kind of changing over from. You know, nobody was editing on flatbeds anymore. They were using Avid's or or Final Cut, and um, but nothing really sold. You know, nothing. I didn't really get any traction in it, but it was certainly a great experience. Yeah. So uh, what le what led you to the world now, where I, I guess I would describe it as you're sort of in the world of health and spirituality and and fit fitness, all wellness, kind of the wellness kind of the wellness industry, mindfulness uh, industry. You know, I always have had a big, a deep curiosity about different spiritual modalities, even back when I was a little uh, beach kid in Huntington. Um, my mom was fairly curious in those areas, and and um, so I just naturally was curious myself. And it kind of, it came back um, a lot stronger. Um, I became, I was, I had a drinking problem. I became an alcoholic and needed to take care of that. And that was, I took care of that when I was about 35, I think. And um, that's when it really kicked in more. And um, it was more the teachings of the Buddha, which I found really drawn to about, you know, his life and what he offered and um, the Dharma itself, the teachings that he offered and kind of just saying like, you know, look, um, where, 
we're on this planet and we have to navigate ourselves through this life and i found i found a path to make it a little bit um a little bit easier and uh you know try it and see if it works for you and i and i did and and uh i kind of been steeped in it ever since then it, it melds well with this mindfulness community these days that you see you know mindfulness practice everywhere these well, I, days you know, i think uh, with maturity it comes it comes easier yeah. i mean i'm definitely much more uh i'd say spiritual than i have been in my in my younger years um yeah um not specifically religious per se but spiritual i go to church with my girlfriend we, but but i really i just believe in being good good and 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 caring for yourself and for the world around you and for other people and just realize that you know it's it's a lot nicer to be kind to people than it is to be an asshole and you know <laughs> exactly um, you know. and uh so and, and it's interesting to look at you know one last time we talked we talked about what you're doing now um which is called the modern elder academy or is it called yeah. academy is what you call it modern elder academy modern, El modern elder academy yeah, yeah. And i think that's really i love the term modern elder i mean i turn yeah. 60 next month you sure know, and i don't feel old at all you know what i mean yeah. um i mean of course i have my aches and pains but i've been having those since i was 25 so i'm a skateboarder uh so it, at this point yeah. i feel as youthful in fact I, I think i feel a lot better than i did in my 40s uh and i'm about to hit hit 60. so the term modern elder kind of sparks me up makes me kind of like proud because i feel like i am a modern elder sure you know? and then to speak about full circle you know we talked about you bringing stacy peralta out to talk yeah. at your um at the academy there yeah i think that's pretty cool Recon reconnecting with uh, uh one of your original mentors i saw steve kathy this weekend at the el gato classic he was one of my first mentors he got me on gns I remember so yeah having those people Beautiful. there for us was uh was a really important part of our life no matter where our life went we never forget what that meant to us and what that did for us yeah i you know i i love stacy so much he was you know i'm so lucky to have him in my life when when I did, um, not really having, uh, you know, he was like an older brother, of course, but, uh, you know, a father figure wasn't around and Stacy really filled that role in a way, yeah. in a sort of, you know, in a, in a, in a peculiar way of uh, just somebody I could really confide in and rely on um, in certain hours. He was just a, such a, you remember how positive he always was. For sure. And he always is, you know. Stacy and I always uh, got along great, you know, I mean, we never, you know, you know he was a former GNS guy by the time I got on GNS, but he was always really, you know, he had his roots there. So he's very respectful of it. And we sure. all, yeah, we always got along great. Yeah. So this, I mean, this place is really, um, you know, it's a midlife wisdom school. It's the first of its kind. And I think all of us that are entering into midlife, you know, you know, 40 and over, um, midlife these days you know is all the way up to like mid 60s you know well, it's funny you say that because my ex-wife would used to say when i'd say well you know is it i'm having midlife joke about something because you're not midlife you're way past midlife i'm like you know and this was when we were in like 40s and i, and I never felt that way you know Dude, I, we're I, totally I reframing all of this you yeah. know it's just uh you know one of the things that's happening is we're living a lot longer and we're living healthier lives longer and we're seeing that like you and I are probably, you know, our generation is really kind of the first to see this where, you know, how old's Alba right now? I mean, he's still skating. He's, he's close to the same age as me, 59, 60. I mean, he's. Uh, I thought he was over 60 now. No, I don't think he's, but he's, I think he's probably about to turn. Alva is not Alba. You're talking about Alba or Alva? Alva. Alva. Yeah, he's like 64 Tony. or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, we're, let's stop this and I'm going to start it again, okay? Okay. Okay, where were we? So we were talking about the Elder Academy and how... Yeah, midlife, midlife re changing. Yeah. And what, you know, what we've really touched upon here is, um, is the simple fact that we are living longer, healthier lives. And this, this idea of, like, retiring in the, uh, you know, in the traditional sense, nobody really is interested in that anymore. People, people still want to feel like they're contributing in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they don't, you know, there's a lot of things. So a lot of times, you know, we can't retire. We need to continue to work for obvious reasons. But... Um, but a lot of us, you know, if we made some money and we do want to, we do still want to feel like we're contributing in, 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 uh, culture and society and things. And we, as we started to look at midlife itself, um, it's a really juicy time of life and it hasn't really been talked about in the ways that, that it should be talked about. Um, it's more of midlife crisis, you know, and these things and, and what the fact is, is, is there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of opportunity for growth. There's, you know, getting to that age where people's kids are going off to college. So this identity of like, I was a mother, I was a father. Now they're not here. And what am I now? Or somebody leaving a, you know, a 30 year career of having their identity kind of placed in that career you know what what do they do now sometimes it's the end of a marriage it's parents passing away there's a it's, lot. it's funny i think it's all those things yes i see yeah. i definitely see all those things i know so many people are going through i talked to jim you're from dogtown the other day yeah two, two aging parent three aging parents between him and his wife they're dealing with it you know my mom's 91 in the throes of dementia and alzheimer's you know it's like yeah. uh, and i've seen it with a lot of people i think what's interesting as far as you and i we got to be part of this early skateboarding pioneering culture and you're saying what you're talking about now is like it, it, you're talking about the same thing it's the pioneering of a new culture sure so you're lucky to be there to found yourself in it i think because this is the new culture the new culture is we don't have to stop being physical we don't have to stop you know feeling the way we do i mean i literally i i, I i'm happier than any time in my entire life right now i'm physically yeah feel strong yeah. uh, emotionally in a, in a better place. Cause I've learned from yeah. you know 30 plus years of marriage and failure of it and my mistakes and things sure. like that to appreciate every moment. I share more with my partner, um, just enjoying my time during the day, whatever physical stuff I can do. I mean, all of it, it's just like, it's so, it's so I can't imagine when we were, you know, 20 years old, even thinking a 60 year old could feel the way I do. Because there was so sure. few of them, but now I see so yeah. many people turning sixty or sixty plus or near it, like yeah. that are really thriving and enjoying life every day. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, you're at a pioneering point, and uh, I'm stoked to see it coming out. It really is, and it's a big surprise. You know, it's it's become a very big surprise to us. You know, it really started out by one of our founders who wrote this book, uh, Chip Connolly. Um, he wrote this book called. Um, the making of a modern elder and um and he was really kind of talking about his relationship of he had you know he had a chain of boutique hotels that were very successful at the at the beginning of this kind of boutique hotel kind of trend and very successfully sold it he kind of took a few years off and wrote a few books and um and then he got asked he was kind of considered a 
Chip was considered a hospitality guru of sorts, and he got asked to be to come on and and work with Airbnb when they were very early on. And Chip at the time was in his early fifties, um, and the CEO of Airbnb, Brian Brian Chesney, I think he was around thirty. So it was really interesting of this of Chip being this almost this elder in a way, this kind of mentor, but also needing to be open to these wonderful views and ideas of this 30-year-old um, young CEO. Yeah, well, they both and, needed each other. There's no doubt he, about it. He wrote about that relationship, with which kind of spawned this whole thing about, well, what is midlife, you know, and starting to see that there is such a need for, uh, for there to be a place where people can come for all sorts of reasons, whether it's, um, you know, about how to grieve you know uh, you know what how do we how do we navigate the loss of a parent you know how do we actually do that in a society that really doesn't talk about that very often or prepare you for something like that yeah. um starting a whole new career at 60 years old um deciding or maybe deciding that we want to dip our toe in some sort of spiritual path you know so we touch upon all these different areas and what i was so excited about to come on and do this podcast with you is like our own culture that we come from this whole demographic of skate and surf culture that are all kind of our age that are also going through these things and i want to just say that you know we we are here and we are starting to have people that will appeal to the culture we come from which is why i've asked stacy to come and do a week here and he's doing it all. We talked about it. Um, he wants to do it on transitions. I mean, Stacy's like, why do you want me? You know, and I'm like, dude, you're like, you walked away from like, first off, you started, you kind of like were at the forefront of something that was a lifestyle that turned into an extremely lucrative business. And his residual checks that he would get at dinner time from his mom started to surpass what his father's salary was you know yeah, yeah. when he was 16. yeah and you know and go going from that and then being a part of buying yourself you know being a part of pal and peralta and then and then literally stacy walking away from that at i think a time when i think they had their most uh lucrative year yeah and he just had this this like yearning to do something different you know and that's when he really went to move into to filmmaking and take it more seriously yeah. and you know and i don't know if he tell but he almost went broke i mean it was 10 well, years I don't, I don't doubt that oh totally yeah he right. went it was 10 years of in the trenches of like trying to make it through that and then you know the wonderful documentary dogtown z boys that somebody even i think as it as the story goes somebody pushed him to get it into Sundance. Like it wasn't really thinking about getting it into Sundance. And once it won, then, you know, things started to to roll for him in this industry. So he was like, let's, let's have my week be all about transitions, you know? And, you know, we can think about these transitions as they relate to skateboarding and as life. Um, you know, we're always in transition and it's, 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 you know, can we, can we learn to do these do these transitions with a sense of grace the way we do um skateboarding you know with some style and uh and some ease in a way you know well, and, I, and by 
by not listening to rules that were written by people that no longer apply, right? That 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 some some parts of what they wrote hundreds of years ago, or whatever it is, applies. But the rallies times have changed. We have to adapt to where we're at today. Take the good totally. The past, right? I mean, it really is. And I think you know what I what I after this is our fifth year right now. We're in the middle of workshops right now, and um, what I see over and over is people. Um, are listening to their own inner wisdom a, a more, you know, but they're also in a culture that's telling them, well, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. And they maybe lived a life where they kind of followed the path that of least resistance in a way. And all of a the sudden they're like, you know, I don't want it. I don't want to work 60 hours a week anymore. You know, I don't want it. You know, I well, need to really learn that it wasn't worth it. Yeah, because no matter well, what they might have had as far as an asset, doesn't satisfy them. What what uh, satisfies them is actual time and sometimes that's the case, you know. Yeah. And my my little part here is really, you know, guiding people back to to the simpler things in life. You know, the simple pleasures. You know, mindfulness meditation is such a practical approach to just how to set the tone for the day you know to recognize our own built-in basic goodness to entertain the idea of a bit of stillness in our lives that we don't have to wake up in the morning open this thing and just be off to the races you know oh, i totally get that because i mean i still i'm we all do, we all do I, i'm a broadcaster on social media but i don't i don't sit and watch everything else all day long i just yeah, yeah. i use it as a tool you sure. know I, mean? I, I sit down and spend time doing it i got it would, it would suck up all my time if i sat there and watched everything that happened um but uh but yeah i mean my girlfriend beth is uh she's she's a little older than i am she's 61 and in, in better shape than most women i've ever met in my life yeah but also very in tune with meditating and spirituality um, she got me a little bit more contained and focused and calming yeah. <laughs> and put the phone down a lot more. Um, and it's really good. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a very healthy thing. And this is the whole thing about this. You know, it's not about, you know, going up and being in solitude and, you know, staring at your navel. This is the approach is a very practical approach. It's about, you know, continuing to still we can still have a busy, productive, you can still even multitask, you know when we need to it's just more about being awake you know not just kind of going through our day with our head down and just trudging along and leaving kind of carnage on the periphery in a way no but just, I, totally, I mean that's a great that's a great word to, to put it awake i mean being yeah just being awake, awake. to your choices today yeah i can choose to be happy or i could choose to be miserable i mean someone's yeah. gonna say how are you doing i could say i have a good list and a bad list my yeah. bad list would probably make your toes curl because you wouldn't want to even hear it yeah, but I focus on the good. I mean, I just yeah. learned that the good. There's enough good to always focus on the good. You can't sure. ignore the bad. Can't make it go away. Um, uh, but if you just focus on what's bad, I mean, a lot of us could just spend our whole day miserable every day. Yeah, there's always something well, bad to focus on. So it's a good. You know, you look at the news, and it's real easy to feel all the stuff going on in the world and the the divisiveness and. Um, all the hardship and the suffering that we do see makes for good copy but we really do need kind of space to remember that you know that this world is innately good it is you know, yeah we can't we can't let ourselves get sucked into the fact that the news 
wants to shock us so we watch the news yeah. because their whole life thrives around the ad dollars they bring yeah. and they get more ad dollars when more people are shocked yeah. right so it's like but if you let yourself get sucked into that i go you're basically someone's buying your emotions yeah. you know you're even even the negative the causes i mean you let you're taking yeah. burdens on that someone's just paying to have thrown yeah. in your face um when you need to take it and take charge, I think, yourself, right? And, yeah. and and decide to only allow so much of that in. It's it's, not, sure. it's also foolish to be oblivious to what's going on in the world, but um, I think it's finding that middle ground. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's what I have found with my own practice is that, you know, all I can really do is what's in front of me, you know, in my in my in my community, really. And and that's really where I focus it, you know, it's, it's, I mean, and this is how you make our world a better place. It starts with what's in front of you. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's interesting when I hear people say like, well, I'm out saving the world. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, you know, I, I'm happy for you, but people will position themselves in a way to take on a big chunk and what ends up happening is they get burned out you well, know I agree. I, yeah i totally agree i i think if you're overall good and you assist in all things good however you can and as and everybody did that then a lot of good would get done and most of the issues we have wouldn't really be issues but what happens is then you get people who get so caught up in like oh my god i have to save every cat my god i have to save every homeless person oh my god and they get and they literally become obsessed with saving what they can while the society around them isn't getting any better our social decay continues to kind of erode um and what it is it's society that needs to be fixed so that everybody contributes a little bit because the amount that we all need to contribute to make the world better is not a lot the problem yeah. is so few people are contributing to make the world better so most people are oblivious almost oblivious to the whole concept that they can help make things better in this world whether it's go to a meeting somewhere to help something help with a community cause do whatever they feel it's literally live oblivious they go to that job they focus on that 40 60 80 whatever the hell it is they put in hours every week um they go home they eat they fall asleep and they think like i, I i'm working for that that goal to again retire tired old out of shape fat and you know dying but uh uh, but the ultimate thing that would make us all better is if we all contributed on a constant basis just to loving our neighbor, being nice to people, cleaning things up, you know, caring about our community, and then respecting those around us. And I think we would all we'd all be enhancing ourselves. And that got lost somewhere in the last since we grew well, up, that got lost a lot, you know. It's in this, you know, the culture of busyness and our and our self-worth tied to how busy we actually are. And, you know we do need some stillness in our lives. I, you know, I'm a big believer that once, once you entertain a bit of nature and stillness in your life on a regular basis, what's within us will naturally come out and, and it'll be, and it is this, this basic goodness. It's the, it's the ability to share one's heart with the people around you. And, and it, and it's in that that helps us kind of navigate this life without having to feel like we need to constantly manipulate and uh, fix things so that we actually feel better. You know, you start to kind of walk through life with a bit of flow and a bit of rhythm rather than kind of wrestling it all day long. And, um, and it really comes from, 
it really has to do with just stopping for a while, just needing to put the life down for a moment. And really what happens here is kind of that, you know, although the, the workshops that we do and we offer are week long, they're very immersive. Yeah. We're not hanging out here going surfing every day. Although I do take, I take everybody surfing once a week. Good. And, uh, and uh, it's pretty amazing seeing people in their 60s surfing for the first time in their lives. Amazing. Talk about stoke, you know. Yeah, yeah and they realize what they've been missing. Like, why did I wait so long to do this? What, what, an, amazing, what an amazing crazy. feeling. And it's really interesting because people will get here and they'll be like, we're going to entertain some mindfulness meditation. We'll do a little yoga. And then there's all this like, you know, we have a curriculum, a modern elder curriculum. So there's a lot of you're in the classroom a lot. But we get to do these activities and uh and at the beginning of the week it's always funny it's like no way am i going surfing you know and about wednesday rolls around it's like well maybe maybe i will and then by friday rolls around they're like oh, man, i'm gonna do it let's do it you know and i think our groups are about 20 at a time and i think each week probably average i take about 12 each week and they all surf they're pretty good. Most most of them stand up, you know. Yeah. What would you what What would your advice be to someone who's uh, you know, whose life's stressful, chaotic? They're caught up in the in the thing. Um, their their perception of meditation and spirituality is all this, you know, guru incense burn. You know, like uh, not the reality of the basis of it. Where do you suggest someone starts to learn what it feels like to calm down, to step out, to uh, you know, to because let's face it, it takes it takes a path to get there. Not too many people jump straight deep. Well, it takes courage. Energy. You know, it takes courage. It's easy to be absorbed in our own busyness and our own achieving and and consuming to avoid looking at ourselves. You know, um, you know that looking inward and getting to know oneself again is really what what the what is being offered here um, to really come back to developing an intimacy with oneself. You know, knowing that the, you know, the Jim Gray that who and what you are right now is very different than the Jim Gray of what was maybe five years ago, you know, um, and this just understanding that we're in this constant state of becoming and to take a moment and stop and to question, just question the culture you come from and to just think about, you know, I love this. There's a book called The Power of an Open Question by one of my teachers, Elizabeth Mattis Namgill. And it's more about not so much seeking answers anymore, but it's about inquiry. Because if we're constantly inquiring without having to grab and attach to some sort of answer of like, how do I, you know, what is the fix? What is the way to make this all? This isn't about just achieving constant happiness. It's about traveling through this life with a bit of grace and a richness and a wakefulness to be able to receive you know i get people here all the time last night we did this restorative yoga class and just laying on the earth and feeling the body breathe you know this the breath itself this thing that this process that we hardly even really think about and they get a lot of people here that are kind of a type a personality and they get out of that hour-long class and they're just like man like that was so beautiful to just feel my body, the gentle ebb and flow of this body breathe and just 
the grace in that and the, the natural nurturing qualities that I can get from that. I was doing some, some mindfulness workshops pre-COVID at, at Cliff Bar, and there was a vice president there that brought me in that I worked with um, privately. And he told me the first session that I did with him um, was just a gentle yoga class. And he told me after he was done, he was like, he shared with me, he goes, God, Teddy, he's in his early fifties. He was like, I just realized I've never breathed right, you know? And what he was really telling me is he was never aware of his breath, that he just chose to breathe shallowly because he was never really told that like, no, you can relax your tummy and you can actually breathe the whole body in a more relaxful cadence. And later on, a year after that, he gave me another wonderful compliment. And I didn't know it, but he was, um, he had a very strong Christian faith. I didn't really know about it. He didn't really talk about it much, but he shared with me, he goes, he goes, you know, my learning about mindfulness and, and being aware of this body has really allowed me to pray better, you know? And I was just like, that was just beautiful because this body has so much to tell us. And the answers are there as long as we just decide to like, to just put it down for a bit. It's not for, not for, you know, to have a regular practice, to put it down for 10 minutes a day, to just simply check in, you know? And um, my advice to anybody is really to, to entertain this idea of some sort of stillness in your lives. Come see us here at Modern Elder Academy there's plenty of mindfulness meditation books out there and they're it's a very beautiful practical approach you can still have a faith and practice mindfulness meditation it's not challenging you in any sort of most of my teachers are jewish uh but they're also buddhists and most of my teachers um are steeped uh still practice their judaism but they're also um buddhist scholars you know um so you know they go hand in hand and uh um you know i know in my own journey of, of not only through sobriety but just navigating my life with the least amount of suffering and actually being awake enough to to be aware to not cause any suffering as 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 best i can um the meditation practice has just allowed me to to kind of navigate this a, a little bit more naturally and not wrestle with it so much. Well, I definitely feel you on that. I know it, it all starts in, in your mind, having to allow yourself to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I, um, you know, even through my history in skateboarding, I, I've been antagonized and didn't hesitate to fight back. You know what I mean? And, sure. and now I still have a little bit in me, but I'll mostly just take, take a deep breath and go, yeah, whatever. It's not worth it. Who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean, um, I think as you start realizing the cause and effect of being angry and being frustrated and, you know, and again, I'm not gonna say it doesn't happen. It still happens, but you know, in the nineties, yeah. I was lashing out on people left and right. Cause I didn't like, you know, a lot of stuff that was going on and didn't respect it. And I still don't, I never will. But the bottom line is, you know, can't let it, ruin you you have to you have to fight for yourself for your own sanity uh, you have to choose you have to choose to be happy you have to choose to uh to let yourself you know feel feel calm i mean and it is it's an ongoing battle yeah i think uh yeah i mean again someone becomes the maturity i i wish for the younger crowd they fought they they learn it earlier than i did you know that would always be my and i'm sure the same you feel the same way so 
I just really want to let people know that, you know, there's a lot of wonderful books and, and techniques and all that stuff out. You know, there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of apps and stuff, but we really do have such an amazing body with all the resources within it. And the more you just spend time within it, not just your mind, but dropping it down below the shoulders and just listen, you know, the answers will come. It's much easier than we think. Um, it's so easy for us when we feel discomfort to buy something on Amazon or drink a six pack of beer or smoke a joint or whatever, you know, and, and there's a lot to be learned in our own discomfort, you know, meditation isn't an easy thing to do. That's why people don't do it, you know, but sitting in your own discomfort, whatever mind state you might be, whether it's anger or grieving, or it could be bliss, you know, sitting in your own bliss, um, and not attaching to these things, knowing that these mind states will pass, that this movement will pass, and to just sit and to feel and listen and not react is the beauty of this, you know, to know that we don't have to react to life constantly. You know, it's so beautiful to not, I was very argumentative when I was a kid, you know, I don't need to win arguments anymore really that much you know there's a few times when i need to stick up for myself but for the most yeah. part it's you know i'm in charge of my own contentment you know and, and all of us have the ability to do that i i relate um, to that very much you know, it's easy I, for us to say like i think too much so i can't meditate and it's like no you well, can, I get that all the time i meditate yeah. with, with my girlfriend all the time and yeah. i definitely you think a lot. I fight. I fight with all the yeah. things that come into my yeah. mind when yeah. I'm supposed to be trying to let my mind go blank, and then you yeah. try to chase it out of your mind and yeah. get back into it. And yeah, it's a. It's just simply coming back to the body. The mind drifts away. We start to judge. We start to critique. Bring it back to the body. The breath. Then the mind starts to think of something a year ago. We bring it yeah, back. Completely. All it is is bringing it back, and it's it's hard, yeah. but the incremental progress in contentment and peace is so worth it and it happens quick you know it happens quick when you start I, to i agree with that you know so since this podcast is basically inherently me talking with skateboarders yeah <laughs> started skateboarding how would you say um your skateboarding got you to where you are today what part what, how important is skateboarding in your life what does it uh, what does it represent in your way you think the way you live i've always been involved in things that are countercultural. you know my spirituality included you know the teachings of the buddha and the dharma were have always been very countercultural. meditation has always been countercultural skateboarding countercultural surf culture countercultural it's you know my family mom my brother you know we made a living doing macrame in the 70s you know it's i you know kind of like marched at our own path in a way you know um and always when I start to like, because of the pressures of the, of the cultures around me, um, I remember, you know, I remember, I remember it a lot in, in my late teens in Orange County, the thing of, of money and status and stuff and having that effect on me in a way because we just didn't come from that. And, and, but 
but still I kind of knew, I kind of knew that, that this was a mind state and it was something that was kind of being conditioned upon me and that it wasn't like, because, and you know why I knew that was because I was nine years old or 10 years old sitting out there on the north side of the pier or the south side of the pier surfing and watching the sunset and some dolphins kind of go swimming by and this evening glass off. And before I even knew what even spirituality was or any sort of religion, I was having a moment there, a moment of awe, a moment where I just knew internally, bodily, that there's more to this than just this life in a way. And that those moments of awe where I just felt like everything was just put in its perfect place, um, that really kind of is embedded. And skateboarding, surf culture, it's totally responsible for that. Um, You know, like the Buddha said, going against the stream. We were always going against the stream, you know. I was I was never really a bad student or a rebel or any, anything like that in high school. But the way I looked and the way I was maybe treated by some of our teachers was it was just kind of a judgment call upon me. No, I was actually, we were athletes on the same level as, as a, as a uh, Olympian gymnast, really. We were at yeah, the forefront and, of that. And a football player because we got pounded. Yeah. We pounded yeah. ourselves into concrete all day long. Talk about where we're tough. And, uh, and thank God there were p- people around, you know, like Stacy, um, John Rothrock, which was my surf coach in high school um, at Edison High in, yeah. in Huntington Beach. He taught art. He taught art. So all of us surfers, we took his art classes. We took his ceramics classes. He took all the so-called misfits, you know. Yeah. My brother in high school um being you know rich thrived in surfing and he he put his foot down because we were like i think we won the surf contest for our high school school district or something yeah Yeah. and we didn't get a letter you get the letter you know the football players got the letter and rich brought it up he's like hey man we just won you know we beat huntington high we beat newport beach newport harbor high we beat marina like where we should Where's get a letter. letter like where about you know well we don't give you like you're and we got it we we kind of demanded it we got it so we're all like like That's you said awesome. earlier pioneers in this you know edison high now is like you know i think back when we had surf class we had two two girls doing it katie peck and Di- darlene weinstein i think her name was two surf women two women surfing and I bet that school now for surf class, I bet it has more women surfing than, than, yeah, or, than or at least at least half and half. I mean, yeah, fully, yeah. yeah. No time change. Lady skateboarding. There's no doubt. I'm I'm actually on the board of directors for an organization called Poseidon Foundation, and we're having yeah. lady, Ladies Day at the barracks this Saturday. Um, and it's uh it's the 14th year, and it's been growing and growing, and the the talent uh, has been increasing and the um, yeah, women, women have kind of outpaced men in skateboarding in the last uh, decade now. I love, I just love, I, I, I enjoy the, you know, looking at, I think I look at that more like uh, the community in the, in the, in the women's skate culture is just so wonderful. Um, same with the surf culture too. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel you on all the stuff you talked about. You know, being in high school. You know, being I looked out and I always thought that I felt sorry for people didn't realize how much fun I was having. Yeah, sure. I was like one of the first kids to make the baseball team at school, and I quit. You know, to go skateboarding. You know, what yeah. I mean, skateboarding was more fun to me. And like, and sure. I played football, and I was good at racquetball. I have bowling trophies, and yeah, you know, it's like I'm I'm a pretty good athlete, but. I was having fun. I wasn't caught up in in challenging and chasing and fighting and, you know, being bummed because someone dropped the ball on second base and, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I appreciate all those sports. I like playing any yeah. kind of sports, you know what I mean? But skateboarding gave me a different escape, a different uh, a different place where it was all about me and my mind, you know, sure. having a good time with friends, um, yeah. challenging myself. And and I did, I in a sense, looking back at it all, I feel sorry for the people who didn't get to have what I've had. And that's 50 years of just having fun. And I still go skateboarding with guys I skated with when I was 13. And, yeah. and we're still having a great time. And, and there's sure. not too many guys that I know played high school baseball that are still playing baseball with their high school buddies. Or if they are, they're, they're yeah. trying to relive their youth and they're not enjoying it, you know? So, yeah. uh, or it's rare, you know? So um, yeah, no, we, we were definitely a fortunate, uh, fortunate guys to grow up to have grown up in Orange County when we did, for sure. Yeah, it was a it was a oh. good culture. It's definitely a different place now, but uh, but the, you know that that culture still exists. You know, it's just it's a little harder to be as pure as it used to be. But uh, there still is a lot of people living the surf and skate culture and having a damn good time. Doing I love it. it. You know, I have I love California so much. You know, it's uh, you know, in that era, you know, and just being able to be in in california and be particularly huntington beach in the 70s was uh was really special um, I, mean, I mean i'll go as far as as saying california as a whole in its entirety is probably the most amazing country we'll call it that's ever yeah. existed because yeah. you've got climate changes topography changes weather changes multi-sports you've got activity you've got i mean so much thrives here. So much is created here. It doesn't matter where it's made in China, where they come from. And the computer industry with Apple and yeah. it's like, I mean, California makes stuff happen. You yeah. Know? Um, we create piles of art. We create, you know, uh, I mean, just all the stuff, especially in our surf and skate culture, the magazines, the media, all are based in California. And, and so, uh, but we also have five-star restaurants and, and the best natural stuff. And, you know, I mean, I mean, California is, is really you know a, an amazing place to be yeah it's it's crowded it's crazy on the freeways um it's a bit of a mess these days but uh i don't think there's anywhere else on earth that could claim they could uh accomplish as many things as have been accomplished in california yeah but there's a lot of amazing places that have done a lot of stuff but on Very all the there's anywhere that's ever accomplished as much yeah. as california so viva california i'm proud to be a californian me too yeah. this has been awesome no it really is um i uh it's fun catching up with you it's you know it, this is really like the third or fourth time we've uh connected in in front since 30 years ago till about five i think about five years ago the first time you came by here yeah and you were one of those guys i was wondering whatever happened to teddy bennett yeah, yeah. style you were such a smooth skater loved how you float i love scott foss when he saw, saw, showed up the first time and he just got injected in the hall of fame last week that that. yeah cool. i'm in touch with him quite a lot yeah yeah you know just like those were that was a big influence on my life and it's uh we we're, we're lucky to have grown up in such a golden era i really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you about you know the old days and everything and that but then also to share you know what we're doing here 
at uh, the Modern Elder Academy just to tap into our demographic, you know. Yeah, I'll be um, curious to see how that goes with Stacy. Yeah, think that's awesome. I'm sure there's. Because I think after after Stacy, you know, Stacy's workshop is going to be at the end of July next year. Yeah. So it's quite a bit of time, and you know, I'll be back to you know in touch with you to help kind of just get the word. That's the thing is we need to let our demographic know that we're doing this. Yeah. You know, getting people like Stacy, and hopefully after Stacy, we'll get Jerry, uh, Jerry Lopez. And I would awesome. really, I would love to get Tony here at some point, and we'll we'll see about that. Um, so how does someone look up? Uh, is modernelderacademy.com? Modernelderacademy.com, yeah. you know, and uh, I you can reach you can reach me through there. My my email itself is Teddy at modernelderacademy. Teddy with an I. And as far as old skaters who want to see your personal stuff, like Instagram or like that, you're you got Instagram is I'm under Teddy Dean, T E D D I D E A N, and I have mixtures of, you know, the stuff, the work that I offer, but also slipped in with some old school skate picks and uh, some surfing picks and. Yeah, some of my I liked animals, one you sent me the other day. Dogs, yeah. You sent me a good one the other day at Whittier, where you're doing it, doing an invert, and I'm. I'm behind. Yeah, that's whole, a good one. Whole crowd I, I watching, you know. Yeah. I wrote about that for Ozzy yeah. uh, years ago for uh, Blue Tile Obsession. Yeah. Yeah, those were those are pretty glory days. Almost yeah. everybody that was there is still around somewhere. Do you know, yeah. do you know where David Z is? No, but that's the one that's he's the big mystery. Yeah, I agree. He definitely big disappeared. Mystery. Uh, yeah. David Z, um, Don Pollard was another one. I was wondering what he went to. He was an Upland guy. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few, but most most guys are still uh, still. You remember Arnie Hogue? I recognize the name, but don't. Truly, yeah. one of the best skateboarders. Most people will never know. Yeah, I mean, it was literally. I think someone told me once. Steve Olson really just said, "Yeah, thank God Arnie Hogue never entered contests, or we all <laughs> yeah, might have yeah, been yeah. pro skateboarders." He was that good. You sure, know, he grew up in my neighborhood and just uh, he disappeared off to Utah snowboarding, and then and, and I have no really no idea where he's at. So there's always a few of those out there that uh, you wonder about. Yeah. But all right, my friend. Well, thank we'll, you so we'll, much. We're gonna sign this off. It's is awesome talking to you. Good seeing you. And uh yeah. let's stay in touch. And uh I'm you know, good. I'll get this out in the next few weeks, few whatever, years, few whatever. months. Yeah. I'm pretty slack. <laughs> I have like five that I've recorded, yeah. I haven't edited yet. I'll probably yeah. loop back into you just needing help to just let people know about Stacy's workshop and for sure. Absolutely. I'm happy happy to do it. Yeah. yeah. For anybody out there who is interested, go check out modernelderacademy.com um, and uh, keep up the good work because it's beautiful. I'm, I love Thank the term. You, yeah. I consider myself a modern elder. Yes. We got to get you I'm, down I'm, here sometime. Maybe you and you and your, your lady and, and uh, come down it would, it would, for a bit. Sounds like a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, all right, brother, enjoy, yeah. enjoy your day and uh, look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much. Okay. Adios. See you everybody. Bye. This week's episode was presented by Bet Online.
listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube